Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Romans 13. And the last time we covered really the first part of this, uh, responsibility to government. And it's not a particularly exciting part of the scripture, albeit it's necessarily necessary. Uh, the Bible says that everything in a word is necessary for life and godliness. So sometimes we're going to be encouraged. Sometimes we're going to be convicted. Sometimes we're just going to look at kind of how to live our lives how do we interact with difficult people? How do we interact with, you know, people that wrong us? And here, really, it's how to be a good citizen, how to interact with the government, which is something that God has set up. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in part two of this series, verses one through seven, and we're going to look at this in three parts. So before we jump in, as always, we pick our favorite animal or insect and we've been kind of doing this all through Romans based on Romans 1 and we're just basically going to talk about each Sunday and I kind of do a thing on church Facebook have people guess I haven't given out prizes yet I'm considering doing that but uh, (laughs) what type of animal or insect and just to show especially at the end of this particular animal how incredibly complex God made all of the living creatures so this morning we're going to be talking about the camel the camel camels can live 40 to 50 years that was about eight years ago when the circus came to town That's a female camel, and she was in love with me from the get-go. And if my wife's looking at me like, why don't you bring her home? So (laughs) people say camels are nasty, but she was, I just spent most of the time just loving on that animal. It was really hot out that day, I remember. But the camel, they can live 40 to 50 years. They are very interesting and designed in a certain way to be able to live in hot environments. In their hooves, they actually have toes that widen because of the shifting sand. So as they walk, they're able to grip the sand as they move. Uh, They have in their, and there's camels that have one hump, some that have two, but people think that they store water in their humps. They don't. They store fat. Now, here's the interesting thing about the design of a camel. God set them up so that the mass of their fat would be concentrated just on their back. Not under their belly, not in their legs. And the reason being is so they, they don't overheat. The fat is designed that as they need food, uh, as they go through these hot climates, it's burned for energy and it does a much better job than us in conserving water, which is something they need. They also have fur that's a special type of fur that actually ins- insulates them from the heat. Now, if you lived over in the Middle Eastern climate, you, we, we wonder, because we're Americans, right? Why do they wear the turbans? Why do they wear robes? They should wear short sleeves and have their head exposed. But it actually works as an insulative effect. Well, camels have that built in. Also, camels have really tall, skinny legs. <laughs> and the design is, especially with the radiant reflective heat from the sun, it keeps them off further off the ground so they don't have to deal with that. Uh, so... Camels have what's called, actually, dromedary camels only have to drink once per 10 days. We'd be dead in that climate. So you see the design there. 
I think the best part of it, and this, this really shows a design is, and many animals have it, we don't. It's called, it's a French word or French phrase, rite mirabile, which means the ability of their blood vessels. <laughs> it's one thing to study it, it's another thing to teach it. They have an array of blood vessels in such a way that they, uh, these arrays are next to each other and they work countercurrent to each other. The design is that if the, their extremities can take the heat, but it's not a direct uh, circular, it's called a counter, it's called a countercurrent exchanger. And what happens is we overheat in, in the hot sun because what, what happens in our extremities is brought to our core. In, in the freezing cold weather, you fall through a lake. What happens in our extremities eventually ends up in our core and we suffer for it. With many animals, including the camel, you can have this countercurrent exchanger where the extremities can stay warm but not completely warm up the core. So they can go for days like this. Now, you wonder how ducks and geese and penguins and arctic foxes can be in the water and have their fur wet and their feet wet and they don't die like we would have. And that's the answer. It's an amazing thing in that I can almost, I'm going to speculate here because I don't know the exact answer, is but I'm going to speculate that God gave this to the animal kingdom because he knew that they would largely live off the land and in the environment and that humans would build shelters for themselves and insulate themselves from a lot of the environmental factors. Isn't that fascinating? Even dogs, when they hunt and they're excited and they're, they're on their prey, and their, their heads and their bodies heat up, this keeps their brains from frying. So a lot of animals have it. We don't seem to have it. And there you have it. It's the camel. Pretty neat, huh? <laughs> so, oh, you really like the camel. I didn't get any claps for the snake, but... <laughs> so let's jump in. You know, in this church, it's a learning curve. People say, oh, I feel like I'm almost in a science class. You know, we try to do a lot of apologetics. We try to express and understand our faith so that we can, you know, evangelize the outside world. But how are we going to do that unless we really know our facts? So, again, Electron Microscope was developed 35 years after Charles Darwin's death. A lot of his theories were flawed once we put our eyes in that microscope and we could see the, you know, the intricate parts of the cell and, and, and he had no idea that all these things existed. So jumping in, um, just a, a quick recap. One out of three, or excuse me, the recap, let's start with that, is, is because people, and, and th this is going to be a little, a little intricate, it's going to be a little deep, a little, you know, have to wrap our minds around it, because, well, what is God saying here? And, and I'm reading what you're saying in verse 1 through 7, and I might be a little uncomfortable with it. I'm not very familiar with the scripture. Why does God say this? Why does God allow these things to happen? When you look at the four phases of governance, and I'll go through these quickly, um, and, and this is important, the four phases of governance and how God wants to govern us, pre-fall, he creates human beings. They're like his children. They are his children. He has this direct contract, um, contract and uh, contact and relationship with people, uh, which is wonderful. That's ideal. Then humankind falls into sin. Now you have phase two. And phase two shows us that uh, it's a post-fall condition. He still has communication with the prophets and the patriarchs and, and even um, Cain and Adam. And, and he's discussing things with people. 
right? Even now he speaks to us at times in prayer and confirms things. But there's an estrangement phase two after the fall into sin. Because when sin entered the world, not only did death enter the world, but a a further separation of humankind with God. He gave us free will. So we don't have to. There's people in our culture that have no idea who God is. This is completely foreign to them. That's how far we've gone from God in our culture. So in phase two, we see in 1 Samuel 8, God says, well, perhaps I could at least govern my people. And Samuel says, he he brings that up to the people and they go, no, everyone else has a king. We we would prefer to have a king. And Samuel's upset and God says, listen, Samuel, they haven't rejected so much the messenger as they've rejected me. So take heart. Um, Three, so God has to set up this this system, this situation, you know, the... um, uh, the Tower of Babel, right? Everybody's now scattered, different languages. Uh, nations are built, right? People become nationalistic. Now, this is very important, and I find myself, and it's so sad, I find myself having to explain terms, because if you watch TV enough, they'll say, well, this is what this means, and they lie to you. There's a dictionary right there. They're just trying to sell their Marxist divisive theology. Nationalism comes from the word national, comes from the word nation. So what happens as people started to multiply on the earth, they, uh, they got themselves into these geographical enclaves, which we understand as nations. So most, for the most part, German people are for Germany. You know, Venezuelans are for Venezuela, Americans for America with some exceptions. So you have these nations that are being built up, these monarchies, they're kings that are ruling over the nations, and the children of Israel see... Yeah, it's, it's a nice idea to have God govern us, but we, we, we're looking at the royal situation and we're interested in that, and which is kind of a rejection of God. So he does this situation in Genesis 9, Romans 13, Mosaic Law, where he says, basically, and I'm paraphrasing to humankind, okay, you want to run yourselves, great, but in order to prevent anarchy, the total you know, breakdown of society where nobody's alive anymore, is there has to be some rules. There has to be some governing. And, and God basically says, and especially Genesis 9, that if you shed an innocent, innocent person's blood, you know, capital punishment, then your blood needs to be shed. And there has to be a body of disinterested people that are willing to effect uh, this. The last phase, which I'm looking forward to, goes back to the first phase, and we don't know when God's timetable is, is when God comes, returns to the earth, and he reestablishes his kingdom, which is something many of the Jews were looking forward to when Christ came, but his idea and his mission was to save us first spiritually, save our souls, and then to come out back later and save the creation, which is, we're in between both of those comings. Pretty, very, very interesting. Uh, turn the other cheek. Jesus spoke about that. Spoke specifically about interpersonal relationships versus capital punishment. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. We as people of faith need to love people, forgive people, treat people well, not institute vengeance. But if blood is shed, then the, the authorities need to pick that up and do what they need to do from a, uh, a governing perspective. Uh, the absence of government, we spoke about anarchy. Again, I see uh, young anarchists with the T-shirts and the signs, and they have their Starbucks coffee and their designer jeans and their iPhones. And this whole thing about anarchy, what they don't realize is if there was true anarchy, they would have none of those things. Unless you can grow your own food, have a small army living with you, have plenty of guns and ammo, you're not surviving, okay? It's just common sense. And we see small pieces of this when societies break down or there's transitions of government. So is God for the government? 
No, he's not. God is for him governing us. But because of sin and estrangement, this is the lesser of all the evils as far as anarchy is concerned. But there will come a day where God will uh, govern us directly again. And I talked about humanizing the government, that there's people in the government that, um, that are just regular people like you and me. You know, the, the tax assessor's office, the local police, the politicians. I know today politicians get a really bad name. Uh, we pray for their salvation. But if I could put up the second image, humanizing the government. I gave, I threw out a whole bunch of police stories. That's <laughs> pretty funny, right? I had black hair back then. See? Even in the black and white, you can see there's not one gray. So... <laughs> Um, I was a police officer about a year and a half, and uh, I worked in my first department in a lot of the housing projects, and there were community leaders. I still remember that gentleman. His name is Artis. I'd love to see him again if he's still around, but uh, he, what a kind man he was, and he would always want to see the young officers. This Actually, the newspaper was out there when they were having a big uh, community event. And the older, like the elders in that area would, would want us to come. They would want to get to know our names. They would want to have communication with us. When I tell you my police stories, it's very different than what you see in the media. They cherry-pick the worst situations and, you know, on the, on the national news and stuff. You don't see this as much anymore. That was... Um, that was over 25 years ago. Whew, man, where did the time go? So humanizing the government, right? Pray for those that watch over us. Last two points is taking advantage of the freedoms that the government offers, right? The Bill of Rights, the amendments, tax write-offs. You know, if there's loopholes in there, use them. There's nothing unchristian about that. They're there. Uh, corporations and businesses use them. You know, why should we have to pay more taxes than we need to? But we still have to fall within that framework. This is what it boils down to. And if I could paraphrase this portion of scripture is that we're always wanting to know how we could be a good witness to the world. How do we evangelize? This is one facet of our entire walk with the Lord. By being a good citizen, we can be a good witness, right? The Christians could have, you know, in the Roman Empire, they were very unfair to Christianity. The Christians were able to help to break down some of the awful things in Rome based on love. The more people became Christians, the less they had a bloodlust for the Colosseums, the less they had, uh, they, they would worship the emperors. Uh, even slavery. Uh, I've read articles about how in Rome, uh, the tide started turning against slavery in the Roman Empire because there were more Christians in all forms of life. So it had a purifying effect. Very, very interesting concept. So being a good witness uh, can also come about by being a good citizen. So let's jump in, 1 through 7. It says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. 
For because of this, you must also pay taxes. Boy, taxes go back a long way, don't they? (laughs) From the beginning of time. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, or that word can be translated respect, honor to whom honor. So one out of three is instituting wrath on the evildoer. Uh, We covered the first three verses two Sundays ago. So we'll start with verse four. Wrath is reserved for evil. Remember, let's, this does not go against the Sermon on the Mount, interpersonal relationships, but the governing body of disinterested. Now, the word disinterested means that what's supposed to happen is in a murder trial, the judge, the jurors, they can't sit in on a murder trial if they know the person. Okay, so that's what disinterested means. It's supposed to be objective. And we probably have one of the better systems, although we have flaws in our system. That is certainly true. Um, Murderers, serial killers, terrorists, God has a prescription for that. And it's, it's to have that happen. Now, you notice as we read the scripture, it didn't say, hey, I love the governor. Hey, I love the emperor. I love the president. What God is saying is he's speaking about the ordinance. He's speaking about the body. He's not speaking about individuals. Very interesting point as we look through this. And we covered some of that last sun, or two Sundays ago. Verse four, the government is an avenger to execute wrath on those practicing evil, and he does not bear the sword in vain. Now, at the time in Rome, a Roman citizen, and this is interesting because the Apostle Paul would sometimes play that card. I'm a Roman citizen, and he had every right to do that. Uh, you can't flog an uncondemned Roman citizen. You can't jail an uncondemned Roman citizen. So a Roman citizen actually had the right not to be crucified. And if it was a capital case or a, a wrong case where the, you know, the Roman Empire didn't like you for some reason, they could not crucify you. So bearing the sword was a quick way to end somebody's life without suffering. Crucifixion was a terrible form of suffering. It was a terrible thing. Now, the irony in all this is Paul is he's beheaded by Nero, not personally, but Nero became a very corrupt and no doubt demonically inspired emperor. Uh, And I believe he also died young, if I remember my uh, Roman history. It's almost like God took him out. He's like, enough of this guy. Uh, And no doubt, as Paul is going through the ranks and the different parts of the judicial system to plead his case, he did nothing wrong, he met with, with Nero. And no doubt, he witnessed to Nero. And what do we say? That sometimes God's word will soften a heart And sometimes a hard heart will be hardened even more for God's judgment. And that's what happened with Nero. But here's the interesting thing. Injustice in the world? Yes. Let's keep in mind we live in a sinful world, right? There's nowhere on the earth, there's no utopia you're going to find where there's just all these wonderful people who don't sin, who don't have biases, who don't have prejudices. So this is, again, the, the, the lesser of the two evils, so to speak. So... Check this out, though. In the last 2,000 years, Nero uh, probably has been in flames. That's a long time to be in flames, and eternity is a long time afterwards. The Apostle Paul has been with Jesus Christ. So he even said, absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. He knew the moment he lost his life that he was going to be in the arms of the Lord. So God has a way of evening the scales. God's justice is real justice. Ours, we do the best we can, but it doesn't always work out well. He says, God, in this, and this is an interesting thing for somebody in uh, authority and power in the government, our politicians to read. 
if they come across this, it says that God's minister, right? That there's a ministry, an administrative governmental ministry, or it's supposed to be. The word minister, now he's speaking about government official, is diakonos, which means deacon or servant. I think if we watch the news enough, we realize that our, especially our federal officials have lost their way. They don't realize, some of them don't even believe in God, but they will answer to how they governed those in this country and other countries in the world. So there's a, a very neat thing here that we see. Their job is to organize society and bring peace, but they will answer for how they ruled. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar, he started out humble. And he has this dream, and he asked Daniel to interpret it for him. And he says, O king, you are the head of gold, you, but you will be replaced by an inferior kingdom, the, the chest and shoulders of silver. So Nebuchadnezzar is humbled originally. Then he decides to himself, I don't want to be replaced by an inferior kingdom. That's never going to happen. So he builds this image of gold, of Babylon, of himself, and he forces everybody to worship the image or to lose their life, right? And God humbles him, right? He humbles him. For seven years, Nebuchadnezzar uh, is thrown to the ground and he, he's on all fours and crawling around like a, like a beast. He's eating grass. And the, the, the whole court's probably like, what happened to Nebi? You know what I'm saying? Well, he's out there eating grass and his nails are really long. He'll bite you, you know, don't get real close to him. I don't know that it said that in the Bible, but I'm just, I'm just kind of running with it a little bit. And then he, after seven years, he regains his senses and he gives glory to God and he doesn't do stupid things like that anymore. But his kingdom was replaced. God's word will always stand. Now, as I often do in my teachings, I go through extremes, right? It doesn't mean we're here. It just means that these are the extremes. Now, when you look at government today, how do we look at government? Now, here are the two extremes. The one group if they have no God, they look at government as a God. Government today, to, in the minds of many who don't know the Lord, if you don't know the Lord, you have to have some type of entity to give your, your, your worship, your love, your loyalty to. So what happens is they look to the government to do everything. And sometimes that even replaces um, a lot of times what God would do for that person or what their parents would do, or et cetera, the spouse, et cetera. The other extreme, again, government's not to be worshipped. The other extreme are those that are always looking to flout the government, always looking to resist the government, always looking to maybe even take out the government, right? So here, here are your extremes. We have to fit in in the, in the middle in what the Bible says here. Some suffer, now again, I try to answer a lot of questions that are asked of me. Some suffer because they've overthrown the government and it's gone from bad to worse. I'll give you an example. If you study the 20th century, it was very bloody in a lot of ways. A lot of upheavals, uh, the rise of fascism, uh, communism, all this kind of stuff. But if you look at China, Russia, and Cuba, right? Go into your history books. There's a commonality there is that those who were looking to overturn the government reached out, and why not, to the youth. They maybe dumbed down a lot of their uh, understanding, and they basically promised them, when we get in power, you're going to be with us, and you're going to rule with us, and everyone's going to have a part. Well, none of those things happened. 
So sometimes we make our own problems when we do things that are violent and we, we go from bad to worse. And people say, well, well, what's God doing about Russia? Well, what's God doing about China? Remember, the people who live today who are looking for freedom, their grandparents, some of them, were part of the movement to turn these countries into communist enclaves. And now they're suffering for it. God will let us make bad decisions. My concern is that in the United States, this is happening a lot. I was looking at some statistics that show a lot of millennials, and to be fair, they're my age and older as well, that they think, oh, communism is just fine. Yeah, we're fine with that. Would you please pick up a history book before you do that, before you support somebody who believes that? Because once it goes in that direction, it's not going back. Now, again... (laughs) I'm going, to, I'm going to respond to the American Revolution. I'm glad you asked. But this is what I do because I hear these questions a lot, and it's not interactive on a Sunday morning, so I try to answer the questions that have already been asked or that you're thinking. American Revolution is a fascinating thing. You had your first Continental Congress, you had King George, and you had British Parliament. And there were letters that went back and forth. It didn't just happen. There wasn't just bloodshed. There were things that led up to it. You had two groups of people with some mixture. You had your pacifists and you had your revolutionaries. The pacifists, who were Christians, read the scripture and said, you know, I know he's an awful king. I know we're second-class citizens. I know, I know, I know. But we're not going to pick up a gun and we're not going to fight the Brits. Then you had your other group who actually read the scripture, who were Christians, and said, we're not trying to eliminate the government. What we're trying to do, different from, and I know that came afterwards, China, Cuba, and, um, and Russia, is we want representative government. We want the people to have more of a say and hold the leaders accountable. So there was bloodshed. There was excessive taxing. There was a lot of things that happened. And there was a spark that led to the revolution. So you had Christians on both sides, actually, who were reading it. And even the revolutionaries, a lot of them, now, they were troublemakers, of course, as there always are in every group. But they waited and waited and waited and waited until now now violence was starting. Now, you know, they felt like they were never part of the British Empire. They felt like they were this little uh, colony that the Brits just were taxing to fund their European wars. I honestly, I know a lot more about biblical history than I know about American history. I know a lot about uh, Middle Eastern history, Israel's history, but I actually had to do a little research for that. So, um, listen, it is what it is. Here's where we are. And um, there are times that, and I'm going to get into this. When does God's word say that it's okay to resist the ordinances of government? Because it does say that there are times that we should do that. When you look at the whole issue with slavery, you know who the abolitionists were, largely? They were Christians. They were Christians. Steven Spielberg uh, made a movie called Amistad, and he was forced, not a Christian, he was forced in the movie, because it was based on certain documents, that he had to show in the movie, legally, that Christians had a strong influence in abolition. So the Declaration of Independence said all men are created equal, and a lot of Christians were like, wait a minute. If that's the case, we're not, we're not treating all men and women equally. This is wrong. And it put the whole uh, country into war. I sub- definitely support that. So, you know, you can look at a lot of these situations. The Christians in Rome did it differently. They didn't have the influence or the, or the numbers 
They did it a, a different way because they didn't like slavery in the Roman Empire either, and I covered this um, a few years back. And in Philemon, I covered it in Philemon when we covered that. So there's a lot of interesting stuff in here, isn't it? You can see the interaction between history and the Bible. and you know. So the second part, I'll jump into first, verse 5. He says, therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. So two out of three this morning is for conscience sake. So he says, listen, God's word, whether the unbeliever wants to believe it or not, they're going to fall under God's word. It's like gravity. You could be a believer in gravity or not. And if you jump off a building, whether you are or you aren't, you're both going to find out that, yes, gravity is real. So God's word says, even to the unbeliever, right? It's a, 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 a corrupt federal politician reading this. Wow, if I, if I buy into this and, and this is true, I better change my ways. I better repent. And it's happened. Certainly has happened. So for conscience sake. The first part was to, uh, to submit because of, if you go the wrong way, if you lead a life of crime, you're probably going to lose your life. The second part is where he's speaking specifically to believers and saying, but you believers, you should do it for conscience sake. You should just do it because you want to be a good citizen. You want to be a good witness, right? Verse 6, it says to pay taxes. And I have to laugh because I just read, I go check all these like statistics and studies that California, New York, and New Jersey, uh, we're in there are the three highest tax states where people are moving to Florida, Texas, and other places. And it's, you know what's sad? I've lost, uh, this church has lost per- personally, and I'm not exaggerating, we've lost over 100 people in the last 15 years. And I might be being conservative when you count all their family members to out-of-state moves. But you know what? That's legit. You don't want to pay high taxes here. And people say, you know, we're, we're leaving the church. It's not because we don't like the church. And, and because it's, they go somewhere else where there's less taxes, they can't afford it. But you know what's really cool? You're allowed to do that as an American. If you can't afford it, go somewhere else. You could move. These are all things we can do within the governmental structure. However, this is going to be some point, whether you buy something or your income tax, you're going to pay taxes. You may pay less in certain areas, but... So the Bible is, is applicable to everything. He says that the, gov- the agents of the government are attending continuously. So what he's saying is this is why you have to pay taxes, because the government needs to be continuously funded. There are things that are happening while you're even sleeping. Road work is taking place. Uh, first responders are out there. The military is out there. Uh, so we have to pay taxes. Roads, municipal services, county services, state services, federal services, police, fire, first aid. Right? It's all there. Uh, it was a little bit of a different structure under the Roman Empire, but you get the picture. I want to read, turn with me to Matthew 22, starting with verse 15. Because Jesus addresses this, you know, hey, Jesus, uh, when are you going to overthrow the Roman government? Yes or no? Should we pay taxes? You've got to love those yes or no questions. You see that a lot in depositions and courts. A lot of times the answer is not yes or no. It, it, it needs an explanation. It says, then the Pharisees, the religious leaders, who were threatened by Jesus' 
the love that Jesus had for the people and vice versa. They went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent him their disciples with the Herodians saying, now the Herodians are an arm of the government. This was clearly a setup. Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone for you do not regard the person of men. Watch out for flattery. You know, as an immature pastor, I got caught up in that. They start to, to lay it on and then they go for the kill stroke. You know what I'm saying? My wife is shaking her head back there. If people will flatter you and it's a way of taking your defenses down and then they'll, you know, when they got you vulnerable to go in. Obviously with Jesus, it didn't work. You know, Jesus, you're so upright. You're so honorable. You don't care what people think. That was the setup to the question. He says, tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? So here's the yes or no answer. You say, yeah, it's lawful to pay taxes. You just, Jesus just lost his following. What? You're an arm of the Roman government? We've seen enough of that. We're, we're done with you. Jesus says, no, he's immediately arrested before the time of his crucifixion. So yes or no didn't work with Jesus either. He says, show me the tax money. He knew what it looked like. So they brought him a denarius and he said to them, there's a metal coin, whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard these words, they marveled and left them and went their way. Tail between their legs, I added that. It's not in the original writings. (laughs) So... You know, I have to be clear on that. But the cool thing is that what Jesus was saying to them is, you have a responsibility to be good citizens, right? You also have a responsibility at the same time to give God what God deserves. Give him your loyalty, give him your love, give him your respect, read his word, live by it, apply it to your lives. And we can do two things at the same time. I'll give you another one. Matthew 17, I think it was Peter. Yeah, Peter was a little tweaked about having to pay the temple tax. So Jesus makes him feel better and says, Peter, go cast your net in the water. (laughs) And uh, the first fish that you catch, open its mouth and you'll find the temple tax. Drop it in there. Peter, I I got this one. I paid paid for it. It's not going to come out of your pocket. Remember, Peter was still, he was still... Uh, immature. He wasn't walking with Jesus that long. And he showed a lot of grace to his followers. When he was resurrected, Peter and, and, and well, Paul came later, uh, Matthew, they all became strengthened in their resolve. But it's kind of neat because, you know, Peter, you're, you're tweaked about it here. The question is, did he do a miracle? This is kind of fascinating. Was it a miracle in action or a miracle in thought? Either the fish, it just happened to be swimming by that must have nibbled on something on the bottom of the water and it got caught in its mouth. And Peter's like, all right, now throw the, throw the net in. <laughs> got him. Wow, Jesus, just like you said. Or did Jesus make it appear? Either way, it was still miraculous. You know, how do you walk with the, with the Lord Jesus Christ for that long and not know that he's the living God? So, you know, but he, in that specific time he solved two problems he had peter be obedient but he didn't want peter to stumble because early on peter might have been oh you're for this put the net in the water pick out the fish there you go go put it in the basket didn't come out of your account pretty neat isn't it christians can walk and chew gum at the same time 
right? This is why I also pray, and you'll, you'll notice that. I pray before service. I pray for, especially when the elections are coming, who's getting in, who's getting kicked out. I don't care if they're Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, Green Party, and 20th Party down the line. They still need Jesus. Because what will happen fundamentally is when somebody in authority and power goes from serving themselves, they become a believer, then they realize that they have to be other-centered. Hey, you took this job because of all those people that voted for you. Your constituents, now take care of them. Take care of them. I know for me, when I became a police officer, uh, several years into it, I became a Christian, and I even started to see things very differently. Even when uh, I would, you know, and it happens. You, you do the job, you, somebody, they, they don't want to get arrested, they fight with you, they, they do things to try to hurt you. I just didn't take it personally. We had a, a young lady, she was in her 20s, she actually uh, was under the influence. She was on the turnpike, they were calling about her. Of course, she... Um, she ends up in our town <laughs> and she gets off the exit and she's crashing into everything. So I go up to the car and I want, how, how is she doing? You know, you okay? And she, she smacks me, <laughs> right? And I'm thinking to myself in my mind, it's 830. It's going to be a long night. So I'm like, let's pretend that didn't happen. Are you okay? Are you injured? Do you need an ambulance? Well, it goes to happen again. It was, it, this girl must have been built like a gymnast because with her hand, hands handcuffed, you'd be surprised. If you ever watch cops? She could take her foot and put it all the way up here. And she was kicking my squad members. It was, it, actually, it was funny. It was really hysterical. One guy was going on the radio and she kicked him and he was, you know, it's like the Keystone cops, you know, she was a lady. We don't want to, we don't want to rough her up. But, um, so she goes to court and she, you know, she's dressed really nice in a dress. She's really soft-spoken. She's in her right mind. And she comes up to me and she goes, I am so sorry. That's not really not me. And you know what? I didn't get offended. I said to her, listen, I'm concerned for you. You're 27 years old and you got your whole life ahead of you. I said, you need help. You could have killed yourself. You could have killed somebody else. Both of you could have been killed. So here I am. I'm not, I'm not offended. I'm trying to... And this is what I did a lot in uniform after I became a Christian. I was trying to help people get out of the system. Because the system's really for really bad people. It's not for people who screw up occasionally. And I would always try to say to people, the system's like a toilet bowl. You know, it just keeps going around and around, and you keep going further down. It's just my way. But I was trying to help them. I, I coached them a lot about how, how to get out of the system. But it was neat because when I became a Christian, I didn't look at me anymore, my pension, my health benefits, my this, my that. I started seeing other people the way God wanted me to see them. And uh, there were times I petitioned the judge and talked to him and said, hey, can I talk to you? He was a great guy. And I said, hey, you know, this person's not a hardened criminal. And here I am almost acting like the defense attorney. <laughs> what did help was that the judge's car got burglarized and I was right around the corner and I caught the guy. So he did listen to me a little bit. So, but I did it all for good things. Anyway, let's go back to the text here. Pray for those in authority. Pray for those that watch over us. You're going to get good people, and you're going to get bad people, just like in any profession. So fear or respect to whom respect, honor to whom honor. Our desire is to work with our community and our government to make our communities a better place. And, you know, all these videos and just about corrupt government and even bad police videos and stuff, you know, I always try to find a silver lining. And this is what I think. I think in the last 10 years... 
you're seeing a lot more of police officers out of their cars. They're playing basketball with kids in uniform. They're playing football. They're, you know, and I've seen it in my own department, you know, helping people, buying autistic kids Christmas gifts, helping single moms to get a car seat instead of writing her a ticket for the kid not being in a car seat. Uh, so, like I said, I always try to, in my position, and the reason why I say a lot of this stuff is I always try to be the person who brings the healing. The things you don't really see that much in the media. They only show the bad stuff. So it's, I think no matter where you are, we need to work together. And I see community policing is big. You know, even in some really high crime areas, you see the police there and they're out of their cars and they're hanging out with the kids and being father figures, being brother figures, just being, you know, whatever it takes. So that to me is the silver lining. lining. Three out of three is when to not obey government. We got a police officer in the lobby right now. <laughs> no, seriously. Um, that's actually a grant. It's from the federal, uh, state government. And it's good because it helps protect houses of worship. So it's a good thing. But when not to obey government? Acts 4.13. Peter and John do a miracle. There's a man who's uh, lame. And in the name of Jesus, he gets healed. And it starts off in verse 13. It says... People see this miracle and they're blown away. I mean, could you just imagine the atrophy of the muscles when somebody hasn't walked for a while or can't use their arm for a while? They they shrivel because the muscles aren't being used. It's called atrophy. Um, All of a sudden, this guy is able to to get up and, and to walk. And it's an amazing thing that we see. So in verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men... God doesn't need our education. He doesn't need our, our high uh, self-aggrandizements. Just be humble. They were uneducated, untrained, that they marveled. And they realized they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. What do you say? The guy just was lame and now he's standing. But when they had commanded them, now this is, the, the, this is an interesting thing, what Rome did. Rome really controlled the federal government. But in a lot of places, they allowed the local government to not necessarily be Rome. They allowed people to govern themselves, in a sense. A little bit different than our structure today. But when they had commanded them, the local council, uh, to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, what shall we do to these men? Because they didn't like the whole thing about Jesus. For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. So that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. And they called them, and they're in trouble. They called them and com- he just healed somebody, right? But they're in trouble. They called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because they didn't really break any laws because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So he could speak for himself and say, listen, from birth, this was my condition. Today's the first day I've ever walked. So that's kind of neat there. Um, they felt that 
the local government was trying to tell them to be quiet about the way of salvation and like, no, we can't do this. This also happens again in chapter 5. We can go in other places in Scripture. In Exodus 1, Hebrew midwives were ordered by Pharaoh to kill the Hebrew babies. They're populating too fast. Kill them. Get rid of them. And they refused. They refused their own uh, king's uh, decree. Uh, In Daniel 6, Daniel ignored the Persian law concerning prayer. He was like, if I'm in my private place, I'm not bothering anybody. Somebody was spying on Daniel. He's like, I'm just going to pray to God. And it got him in trouble. He refused to not pray to the uh, Babylonian gods. Daniel's contemporaries refusing to bow to the king's image, Daniel 3, which I covered. Now, this isn't something today, again, we have to look at the culture and say, oh, yeah, Pastor Joe, you know, we, we should resist everything. And there's this movement today. We don't do this for political reasons, you know. You know the cool thing about America is every four to eight years, you, you get the other party in. You don't like the guy who's in here now? Well, vote the next time. And the people who like this guy won't like that guy. And then they'll vote and then the other guy will get in. It's just, but at least we have some choice in this country. You know, this isn't a political thing. This isn't a personal selfish reason. This isn't to get on the news. This is because of things that really can be life or death, right? Or serious issues, like when I talked about slavery. That was a good reason to say, hey, man, this is wrong. Pray about it. See what the Lord says. So, um, you know, look at uh, Hitler, right? Martin Niemöller, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. um, Books were written about these men. So Hitler gets in and like, all right, the people voted. And he's kind of fascist-y. You know, nobody really knew the guy right away. As time went on, they were like, well, this guy's really bad. So the churches started turning away from him and resisting him. Uh, and there was a whole pastor's barracks in Dachau. This is, this is a fact. You can look it up in your history books. Filled with priests and pastors. Amazing, isn't it? All these men of God who said, I will not. This is terrible what's happening to concentration camps. And they were, the, the, the Gestapo would come in and right in front of the congregation, arrest them, take them to the concentration camps, never to see their families again. They were men of God. They knew that that was wrong. Some of this stuff is common sense, really. I mean, life or death, concentration camp, slavery. I mean, this is all, this is all common sense. Um, for the Christians, a lot of Christians refused emperor worship. And that was why they started getting arrested and losing their lives. Because you're making the emperor look bad when everybody's bowing down to him and you're just walking away. You can't do that. And the Christians are like, in good conscience, I <laughs> have I've seen the risen Christ. How am I going to worship this guy? It's not going to happen. Interesting, isn't it? So it's, it's, sometimes it's a matter of conscience, but we also, sh- also shouldn't take it lightly. We also shouldn't take it lightly. I, sometimes I, I wake up and I just pray, Lord, thank you that I was born in the United States. Representative government. It has its flaws. Oh, yeah, it does. Well, I've seen it being on the inside. But it's one of the best systems out there, and at least the people have a vote. Amen? All right. So here's the conclusion. Being a good citizen is being a good witness. You know, my wife and I six months ago moved to another town. And, uh, you know, we, we really just started right away getting to know the names of the neighbors. Being a good neighbor. Jesus speaks about being a good neighbor. Do we know our neighbors? When we walk down our streets, is it, you ever see those developments where like, people don't talk to each other? I mean, what happened? 
right? America, we used to be like so tightly knit in, in a lot of these neighborhoods. So my wife, it's funny trying to break in even some of the young adults, um, like I memorized their names. Hey, what's up, brother? They probably thought, who's that weird guy across the street who keeps saying hello to me? And one of our other neighbors said, you know, we all, we all, we all used to sit outside on our porches and say hello and talk to each other. So what do Heather and I do? We sit outside on our porch. Hey, hi. They probably think we're wacky, but, but I always say there's good crazy and bad crazy. So we're good wacky. And what's happening is we're starting to break down some barriers in the neighborhood. And I've already been able to share We've been able to share about Jesus to our neighbors. And that's what it's all about, folks, you know. <laughs> so, and I'll, I'll say this too. Some people say, you know, but I, I, I've been in trouble with the law and, okay, so now put that behind you. You know what's really cool is a testimony where you've been in trouble with the law and now you're not. And people look th- at that and they see time. That's really, a, that's, a, that's a great witness, Wow, so what made you change? What, what, how'd that stop? Well, you know, I, I've trusted in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And what happens is what people do is they say, I don't know if I'm buying the whole Jesus thing, but that's what he's pointing to, or that's what she's pointing to. So that's cool. You know, looking back, and I did some wacky things too before I was a Christian. And, and I've used it as a testimony up here. But now I just want to be, I, you know, I, I got a wood-burning stove. I got a permit. I went to the permit office. They're pain sometimes. But, you know, I try to follow the rules because the Bible tells me I should try to follow the rules. And you know what's cool? When somebody wrongs you, you have redress. You can appeal it. A lot of countries don't have that. Here we can appeal, which is neat. You feel you were wrong, you got a, a raw deal, appeal it. And that's good because that's all within the confines of what the scripture says. You're following the rules. So, again, not a, not a terribly, I know you, you guys all like the camel thing, but um, sometimes we have to cover scripture that's, that's it's thick. It's a little bit um, academic. It's, amen, right? I mean, it's not going to be everyday fluffy. I'm going to go back to forgiveness and fun stuff and happy thoughts. But, but today, what does the Bible say? It's not a fairy tale. It tells us how to live. How do I interact with people? How do I interact with my spouse, my kids, my parents, my siblings, people that wrong me, people I should be forgiving, people in the church who can get on my nerves, the government, you know? I mean, we're going to go through all this stuff, but it's cool because it's a, it's a, it's a, a playbook of how to live our lives. Amen? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.